Amen. If you have a Bible, would you open to the Gospel of Luke with me? Gospel of Luke. We are in chapter 23. We're getting close to the very climax of the story. We've been in Luke since December of 2021. And so we're getting close to the end here. Uh, This series, the last section, we're calling the King of Glory. And today we come to the cross of Jesus and we see our King lifted up, exalted high there on the cross. As you're turning there, let me say a word of encouragement to us as a congregation. We come to this moment each week and we're thankful to receive the word of God. And this is a holy moment. It's a somber moment. It's joyful. And so what we want to encourage you to do is to do your best for your sake and for others around you to to stay in your seat and to receive the word of God. I'm not going to be mad at you if you need to get up. I know we have kids that may need attention or you may need to go, you know where, but we're encouraging you in this moment to, especially today as we are here at the cross of Jesus Christ, to stay and to receive what the Lord has for us. So I'm excited to be preaching for us Luke 23. We are starting in verse 26, and this is the word of the Lord. As they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nurse. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they, when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me 
in paradise. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for your word. God, we're thankful for this moment as we've come to hear from you, to receive from you a word about your son and his cross. Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, that at the cross we see, Lord, what we deserve, the just punishment for our sins. And we see the grace of Jesus poured out on us just as sure as his own blood was poured out on the ground. And so, God, as we come to the cross again today, as we've sung about the cross and thought about the cross, Lord, help it to be real to us. Help it to be fresh to us. Give us hearts and eyes to see the beauty of the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. And, Lord, help us to see just how amazingly wonderful this gift of the cross is. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there is a church in Jerusalem that is built at the very place of the cross. It's called the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. It was built in 335 A.D. And it was built upon what is believed to be the very place where Jesus was crucified, where he was buried, and where he rose again. And just inside of that building... There's a set of stairs that lead up to a chapel. And in this small chapel, there's this golden shrine with this table right there in the center of it. On both sides of the table, you can see under glass this stone foundation, which they believe is the place where Jesus was crucified. And underneath that table, there's a small hole in the ground where you can literally reach down and touch the place where Jesus died. You can touch the place of the cross. And you know, for centuries, people have visited this church. They've ascended those stairs. They've gone into that small little room. They've looked at the stone foundation. And they've reached out their hand to touch the place where Jesus died. You know, this is deeply moving and inspiring for so many people. To think this could be the very place where our Savior bled and died. That's just incredible. It's just incredible. You know, we've come to God's Word today, and, and He's brought us to the place of the cross. And the danger that we face today is treating the cross like a tourist destination. The cross is meant to be the place where we find hope and, and grace and love. And our temptation is to come to this story and to look at it like tourists. Oh, I've been there before. Oh, I know all about that. I even got a t-shirt in the gift shop. You see, the cross is not a bucket list destination. It's not a good luck charm that we wear around our necks. It's not a nice religious symbol to get tattooed on your arm. The cross stands at the center of human history. It stands at the center of God's redemptive plans for the world. It's at the very center of our lives. You see, the cross is not a tourist destination. It's our home. So brothers and sisters, God is speaking to us today about the cross. He's calling us to come to the cross again 
and again. To come and find mercy. To come and find forgiveness. To come and find Jesus. He wants us to come as people desperate for rescue. People who are ruined and hopeless. People who are running to find a Savior. So my prayer for us today as we come to the cross is that we might see the depths of our desperation and the heights of Jesus' love for us. So notice firstly, at the cross, judgment and mercy meet. Judgment and mercy meet. So Luke has just walked us through the trials of Jesus. We saw that the last two weeks. And he's been condemned to death. It's now about 9 a.m. on Friday morning, and Pilate hands Jesus over to be flogged. That means they tie him to a post, and they whip his back until his skin and his flesh are shredded. Once the flogging ends, the Roman soldiers lead Jesus away to the place to be crucified. Typically, criminals would carry the crossbeam as they walk through the city. But it seems that along the way, Jesus is too weak from being beaten to carry his own cross. And this is where Luke picks up the story in verse 26. The soldiers grab this man named Simon of Cyrene and force him to carry this cross beam for Jesus. He's from North Africa, and he's probably just in the city there to celebrate the Passover festival. I'm sure that when he came into the city that morning, he had no idea what he would get caught up in. But here he is, and the soldiers are forcing him to carry this cross behind Jesus. And as they walk through the city, a large crowd begins to follow. Luke tells us in verse 27 that a group of women begin to mourn and lament for Jesus. Luke loves to highlight women in his gospel. He loves to display their deep faith and love for Jesus. And so here they are in his weakest moment. They're with him, mourning and weeping for him. Where are the men? Where are his 12 disciples? They've all abandoned him. But these faithful women are here with him. But notice what Jesus says to them in verse 28. He says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. See, even in his deepest pain and suffering, Jesus is thinking about others. He knows there's great pain and suffering coming for the city of Jerusalem. In verse 29, he speaks about a terrible day when an awful reversal will happen. People will say it's better for women to have been barren. It's better for women to have not have children. Those are the women who will be blessed. What is he talking about? Well, Luke has already told us, if you remember, back in Luke 21. Judgment is coming for the city of Jerusalem. God is going to destroy that city, and it actually happens in A.D. 70. And Jesus tells us here it'll be so bad that people will want the rocks of the mountains to fall on them and to crush them. They would rather be crushed under the weight of these rocks than under the weight of God's judgment for their sin. Think about this. If the judgment is falling on Jesus, who he is, says is like an alive and a faithful green tree, how much worse 
Will the judgment of God fall upon the Jews who are dead and unfaithful like this dry wood that he mentions? Judgment is coming. And Jesus tells the women to mourn for that. Now, why is Jesus talking about this? I mean, he's literally headed to his death. Why is he telling these women to mourn for something that's going to happen 40 years later? Well, this is the perfect time to talk about this. Because you see, the cross is God's greatest display of judgment for sin. The Jews have been unfaithful to the Lord for so long, but nothing has been so unfaithful as the rejection of their Messiah, Jesus. Nothing is worthy of judgment like them killing Jesus. And so as Jesus is headed to his destruction, he says Jerusalem is headed to its destruction as well. See, the cross is a symbol of God's great judgment on his people and their rejection of Christ. But the good news is that the cross is also the symbol of God's great mercy for those who would receive him. This cross stands as God's great judgment for sin, but it also stands as his great mercy for sinners. Just look at the cross and see how much God hates sin. God hates sin so much that he is willing to crush his own son to destroy it. But look at the cross and see how much God loves to give mercy. Zechariah's song, all the way back in Luke chapter 1, celebrates the tender mercies of God that are coming through this Savior. And here, as the Savior is headed to the cross, He is going to pour out those tender mercies on all who would believe. And so here's what that means for us. Either Jesus will take the judgment that you deserve, or you will. Either Jesus will will pay the punishment of your sins or you will pay the punishment for your sins. No one gets a free pass. No sin will go unpunished. And so this puts us in a desperate situation because under the wrath of God on our own, we can do nothing to escape His judgment. But friends, Jesus died to bear the judgment of God so that we might be covered in His mercy. The Son of God stands in our place and He takes the punishment we deserve. And by faith in Jesus, we receive nothing but the tender mercies of God. Brothers and sisters, run to the cross again and again to receive the tender mercy of Jesus. Find mercy in your times of need. Find mercy in your times of doubting. Find mercy when you lose heart. Find mercy when you lose hope. Find mercy when you fail, when you sin. Look to the cross and find the place where mercy triumphs over judgment. So brothers and sisters, come to the cross and find mercy again and again and again. For at the cross, judgment and mercy meet. Second, number two, at the cross, sin and forgiveness meet. Sin and forgiveness meet. 
So Luke tells us that two other men joined Jesus, two other criminals who were also going to be put to death with Jesus. He tells us they're going to the place of the skull outside of Jerusalem. It's called that because it was a small hill that looked like a human skull. In Aramaic, it's called Golgotha. We know it in Latin as Calvary. Jesus is crucified there between these two men. So the soldiers likely lay Jesus on the cross beam. They nail his hands to the wood and they lift him up on the beam that's already in the ground. His garments have been stripped of him and and the soldiers are rolling dice to see who's going to take him home as a trophy. Look, honey, look who we killed today. The crowds and the Jewish leaders mock Jesus, saying he saved others. Let him save himself if he really is the Christ, the chosen one. The soldiers put a sign over his head saying this is the king of the Jews, and they give him sour wine to make him even more thirsty and to suffer more. And then they join in mocking others, saying, if you're the king of Jews, then save yourselves. Save yourself. Notice what Jesus says while all of this is happening in verse 34. Look at these amazing words. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even in his deepest suffering, Jesus is still thinking about others. While these evil men mock and torture him, he prays for them. He prays, Father, forgive them. In fact, you could translate this, he kept praying, Father, forgive them. I mean, can you imagine doing that? If you were being tortured and mocked and executed for something that you didn't even do, could you pray that? Could you pray, Father, forgive them? How how is Jesus able to do this? How's he able to do it? Because that's what the cross is all about, is it not? Jesus is not just an innocent man caught at the wrong place at the wrong time and ends up getting himself killed. He's not the victim of an evil mob. Jesus is here at the cross laying down his life so that he can forgive us. The cross is all about forgiveness. And that's good news because we need a lot of it. Our greatest need is to have our sins forgiven. And at the cross, sin and forgiveness meet. We are in desperate need of forgiveness. Because without the shedding of blood, there will be no forgiveness. But friends, the blood of Jesus has been shed on the cross. And by His blood, we can be forgiven. Listen to Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count his sin. How? How can our holy and righteous God not count our sins against us? How can he forgive our sins? How can he cover our sins? The cross. The cross is how God can do that. 
The cross is where sin and forgiveness meet. And church, just think about the amazing forgiveness that Jesus offers us at the cross. I mean, just rest in the fullness of his forgiveness. Think about this. In Christ, we are fully forgiven. We're not partially forgiven. We're not almost forgiven. We are fully and completely forgiven. For every sinful thought we've ever had, for every sinful deed we've ever done, for every sinful word we've ever spoken, every time we did something and we knew it was wrong, we are forgiven. Jesus' work on the cross is finished. His blood has been shed once and for all, and so that means we are fully forgiven. It doesn't matter how bad it was. It doesn't matter how shameful it was. It doesn't matter if you still feel unforgiven. If you are in Christ, you are fully forgiven. So rest in the fullness. Rest in the freedom of His forgiveness. If we're in Christ, we're set free. Didn't He say if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed? His forgiveness brings freedom from condemnation. Jesus will never punish you for sins he's already paid for. His forgiveness brings freedom from accusation. Jesus will never accuse you for what he's already taken away. His forgiveness brings freedom from performance. Jesus will never hold your sins against you. His forgiveness brings freedom from shame. Jesus will never stop loving you. His forgiveness brings freedom even from doubt. He will never take his forgiveness back. In Christ, we are set free. And oh, rest even more in the forgetfulness of his forgiveness. In Christ, our sins have been forgotten. The prophet Jeremiah looked forward to the cross And he spoke these words from the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. No more. God has not only forgiven our sins, he's forgotten them. Why do we continue to dwell on what God has forgotten? I'm sure all of us have done things that haunt us. I know I have. But here we are, we're struggling to forgive ourselves when God has already forgotten what we've been forgiven. So at the cross, it was forgiven and it was forgotten. You see, we come to Jesus with our pride and because of the cross, he says, what pride? We come to Jesus with our anger and because of the cross, he says, what anger? We come and and confess to him our lust and because of the cross, he says, what lust? It's done. It's been paid for. It's been forgotten. In Christ, God has forgotten our sin. Brothers and sisters, come to the cross and find that forgiveness again and again and again. For at the cross, sin and forgiveness meet. 
Lastly, number three, at the cross, sinners and Jesus meet. Sinners and Jesus meet. So Luke draws our attention to these two men now crucified with Jesus in verse 39. You know, there's not much lower in life than you can get than being crucified as a criminal. But sinners always find a way to look down on someone else, don't we? And so one of them begins to mock Jesus. Are you not the Christ? Save yourselves and save us. But notice in verse 40 what the other man does. He rebukes his fellow criminal and then he says this. He says, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. You see, the crucifixion was such a humiliating and gruesome punishment. It was reserved for only the worst of criminals. And so here's this man knowing how terrible his crimes are, and he's knowing that he's receiving what he deserves for his crimes. But the man sees Jesus, and he knows that he hasn't done anything wrong. Seven times on this day, Jesus is declared innocent in the Gospel of Luke. This is one of them. But notice the man's desperate situation. He's a wicked man. Luke doesn't tell us exactly what his crimes were, but we know, that we know they're so terrible that they landed him here on the cross this day. He was a cursed man. God's word tells us that any man hanged on a tree like this is not just guilty, but he's cursed by God in heaven. He was a dead man. I mean, this man is being executed next to Jesus. I mean, this, this day is the day of his death. He is dying right now. And he was a lost man. Not only is he about to die, but he's about to die in his sins. He's about to face the wrath and judgment of God forever. He's just hours away from an eternal hell. Now, we've seen lots of desperate people in the Gospel of Luke, but none of them have been in this desperate of a situation. If there was ever somebody that seemed beyond hope, it was this man. If there was ever someone beyond rescue, it's him. If there's ever someone who's just too gone, too lost, it's this man. Or maybe it would seem. You see, this man hangs on the cross, and he sees Jesus hanging there with him. And he looks at Jesus and says one of the simplest, beautiful prayers in all of Scripture. Jesus. Maybe he had to say, hey, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, this man sees Jesus as the one who's bringing the kingdom of God. And he's probably expecting that at the end of days, Jesus is going to be raised from the dead and he's going to usher in God's kingdom forever. And so a simple prayer is, hey, Jesus, when that happens, can you remember me? And then look at what Jesus says to this desperate man. Truly, I say to you, today, today you will be with me 
in paradise. Notice the heights of Jesus' love for sinners like this man. I mean, just think about these words in this reply. He says, truly. Jesus is not just blowing smoke here. He's not just trying to give this guy some comfort who's on his, who's on his deathbed there. He's not giving empty words to a dying man. He is the very word of God, speaking the very truth of God. And so he says to him, what I'm saying to you is true and trustworthy. He says, today, today. This man doesn't have to wait until the end of days. His salvation is happening now, today. Jesus will bring him into the kingdom today. Jesus says, you will be. He doesn't say, you know, today you might be. He doesn't say, oh, I hope today that you can be. He says, today you will be. The salvation of Jesus is mighty. It's sure. It's certain. This man will be saved. And he says, you'll be with me today in paradise. Why does Jesus mention paradise? That's the same word for the garden in Eden, all the way back in Genesis 2. You see, the whole story of the Bible has been about getting sinful, rebellious people back into the garden. And for the first time in the whole Bible, Jesus tells someone, today, that's where we're going. Today, we're going to the garden of eternal blessing, where heaven and earth are one. That's incredible. You see, there's perhaps no greater display of the power of Jesus to save sinners than this story of this man at the cross. J.C. Ryle calls this man Christ's greatest trophy. If Jesus got a trophy case in heaven, this man is the greatest. Here's what J.C. Ryle says. Here is the greatest trophy the Lord ever won. Of all the multitude of saved souls, None ever received so glorious an assurance of his own salvation as did that penitent thief. The Lord Jesus never gave so complete a proof of his power and will to save as he did upon this occasion. This man is a beautiful picture of Jesus' willingness even to save the worst of us. And he's a picture of what it takes to actually be saved. Notice the priority of faith here. This man was never baptized. He was never a member of a church. He never took the Lord's Supper. He never served the church. He never attended a prayer meeting. He never sat through a Bible study. He never gave any money to the church. He never cared for the poor. He never made a disciple. He never shared the gospel. And yet the moment he died was not the end for him. Jesus welcomed him into eternal blessing. Jesus welcomed him fully forgiven, fully justified, fully righteous, fully accepted and loved. That man went from a condemned criminal under a curse of God to fully blameless in Christ in one day. How? How can someone so wicked, 
so cursed, so dead, so lost. How can this man be saved? You see, as that man hung there next to Jesus, something happened inside. A transformation took place in his heart. He saw the depths of his sin and desperation. He saw the heights of Jesus' power. And by faith, he prayed, Jesus, remember me. And no, this man is not the exception to the rule. This man is a beautiful picture of every sinner saved by Jesus. This man might be the greatest trophy of grace, but we are all trophies of grace. We are all trophies of the grace of Jesus. I am a trophy of His grace. You're a trophy of His grace. We are all trophies of the grace of Jesus. We are all just as desperate as this man. And we are all saved by the grace of Jesus just like Him. And so how does that salvation become ours? By faith. By faith. Listen to Paul in Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. We're not saved by baptism or the Lord's Supper. We're not saved by our own obedience or our own good works for the Lord. Those things are good, but they are not the priority. Faith is the priority. By grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is what is required for sinners to be saved. And this man on this day hangs on a cross next to Jesus with the same simple childlike faith that saves you and saves me. It's by faith that we are saved. Do you have that kind of faith today? The truth is we are all just as desperate as this man. It doesn't matter how good you look, how religious you try to be. On our own, we are all just like this man. We've committed high crimes against the King of Heaven. We are under the curse of sin. We are all dead in our trespasses. And we are all, apart from Jesus, lost souls. But the good news today is that you can be saved just as sure as this man was saved there next to Jesus. You can have that same simple, childlike faith that brings salvation. If you would turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, by faith you can be saved today, even right now. If you put your faith in Jesus, you'll be saved. And he says you'll have a place with him in paradise. The truth is you'll never be good enough. You'll never do enough. You'll never be enough. Jesus is what you need. And he can be yours by faith. So if you're here today and you've never repented of your sins and believed in Jesus today, would be a great day to experience the mercy and the forgiveness and the salvation of Jesus. Why not? Why not receive the gift of salvation in Jesus' name? You see, just as that man on the cross looked at Jesus and cried out to him, you can look to Jesus right now and cry out to him to save you, to forgive you to give you new life and hope in Him. Confess your sins to Jesus right now. 
Ask Jesus to come and forgive you. And confess Him as Lord of your life. Jesus will never turn away any sinner who cries out to Him in faith. Come to the cross today and cry out to Jesus for the first time. Because, friends, we can be confident of this. The cross is where sinners and Jesus meet. Notice one last thing that Jesus says to this man. Again in verse 43. Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Notice those words, with me. What a beautiful picture of the grace and the love of Jesus for sinners. See, Jesus doesn't tell this man that his sins will be forgiven, although they were. He doesn't tell this man that he's going to go to a place without sin or suffering, though he is. He doesn't just tell the man, hey, you're going to be raised from the dead one day, though he will be. Jesus doesn't tell the man he's going to have eternal life in heaven, though he is. When Jesus seeks to assure this man of the greatness of his salvation and his love, he says, you will be with me. You'll be with me. Brothers and sisters, this is the great hope of our salvation. This is the great reward for which Christ died, that we might be with him. You see, the greatest reward of the cross is not forgiveness. It's not righteousness. It's not holiness. The greatest reward of the cross is not our new birth. It's not cleansing from sin. It's not a clear conscience. The greatest reward of the cross is not peace. It's not comfort. It's not joy. It's not even love. The greatest reward of the cross is not even eternal life. It's not resurrection. It's not even heaven. The greatest reward of the cross is Jesus. All of those things are great. They are wonderful gifts from a gracious God, but they are not our great reward. And yes, there are so many amazing gifts of the cross but none of them compare to Jesus. Jesus is the all-surpassing gift of the cross. Jesus is our great reward. You see, the cross is not about getting us to heaven. The cross is about getting us to Jesus so that we might be with Jesus at the cross. Sinners and Jesus meet. And we get to live there. We get to rest there. We get to love there. We get to treasure Jesus there. So, brothers and sisters, our Savior is calling us to come to the cross. Not as tourists. Not as people looking for some good fortune in life not as people who are just trying to be better, not as people who are seeking some religious relic, 
but as desperate people looking for a Savior. So come. Come and find the place where judgment and mercy meet. Come and find the place where our sin and the forgiveness of Jesus meet. Come and find the place where sinners and Jesus meet. So let's go to the cross again and again and again. Because at the cross we have mercy. At the cross we have forgiveness. And at the cross we have the greatest gift of all. Jesus. And we will always be with him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word today, God. It reminds us of just how desperate we are. We like to think that we're good people. In some sense, we are. But in another sense, even our best deeds are still stained with sin. We like to think that we're better than other people. But the truth is we are all lost. Sinners. And God, we thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, because when we look to the cross, we see the pain and the suffering of a man who's been whipped, who's been nailed to a cross, who is suffering and dying, whose blood is being poured out. God, but we know that the greatest suffering was the bearing of your perfect and holy wrath for our sin. The judgment that we deserve was poured out on Christ so that we might know mercy the tender mercies of God all the days of our life. Lord, we come just as guilty as these criminals crucified next to Christ, and at the cross we find forgiveness. A Savior who says, Father, forgive them. Who offers a full forgiveness. A forgiveness that brings us freedom. A forgiveness that leads you even to forget our sins and remember them no more. Lord, help us to run to the cross to find that mercy and that forgiveness. God, I pray for anyone here today who has not repented of their sins and not believed in Jesus. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Just as that man on the cross heard those words from Jesus, today you will be with me. I pray that today would be the day of salvation, Lord, that they would turn from their sin and trust in Christ, have that faith that saves to turn away from any boasting or any hope or anything that they think can save them, but to trust fully in the finished work of Christ. God, would you draw them to yourself today? Would you save lost souls even here in this place today, God? And God, would you remind those of us who are in Christ just in how amazing this gift of salvation is? That is nothing that we could do or have done or will do, but simply by faith, trusting in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Help us to remember this man on the cross. Help us to remember that we are just as desperate with, like him and that we are just as loved 
by Jesus as he was. And God, as we think about all of these gifts of the cross, may we remember that Christ is the all-surpassing gift. The greatest reward of Christ crucified is that we might be with him forever. He's the treasure. He's the gift. He is the reward. So help us to live like that's true, to long for him to be in our, present in our lives more, to commune with him and to meet with him as a people, as your church, more and more. And help us to long for the day where we will be with him in paradise forever. God, thank you for your word today. Would you bless us as we seek to receive it? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.